Good evening, everybody. Happy deadline day. Uh, isn't it lovely to watch it with your feet up, knowing that Norwich City have completed their business with, what, 24 hours to go or so, as it was last night, as their final bit of incoming business was done. That, of course, was Ozan Kabak joining on a season-long loan from Schalke. We will discuss that as well as all of this uh, transfer window's comings and goings, and there's been plenty to get our teeth into. What there is probably to expect this evening, um, and, and there probably is a small little um, kind of bits and bobs that Norwich City will do just to trim the edges of their squad that we'll um, kind of discuss in a little bit more detail. If you've got any comments or questions, um, do fire them in and we'll answer as many as we can. As you can see, myself, Dave Freezer, and Paddy Davitt here with you to uh, discuss everything, even if it's not Norwich City related and you want to bring it up on deadline day, then uh, do get in and, and we'll have a whirl, although we can't promise any sort of insight. But, you know, that's that's the drill, isn't it? Uh, Dave, let's come to you first. How are you doing deadline day? As, as I said there, it's, it's probably nice for us to watch the chaos unfold everywhere else, really, and sit back knowing that Norwich City have got their ducks in a row and, and, and kind of, well, Stuart, Stuart Webber's out of office is on, essentially. It is very nice. Uh, I'm, I'd imagine it, if it's possible, Stuart will be on a beach somewhere already <laughs> uh, because he'll be um, he'll be well happy with his work, won't he? And just wanted to get his feet up. And I think, as we've said a few times before, it's kind of a matter of personal pride for him, isn't it? He doesn't like doing things on deadline day. He thinks it sort of shows a, a certain degree of unorganisation or, or a lack of preparation and they would certainly have liked to have got Norman a lot earlier in the window. As as we know, they were chasing him for a while. Kabak seems like it's one that became possible a bit later in the window. Um, but ultimately, if if the transfer window actually goes beyond the opening games of the season, then that's going to happen to a certain extent, isn't it? There was the Euros this summer. Um, without a tournament, then you would have thought that it makes sense to, to get the deadline closed before the actual football kicks off. But... Um, Anyway, it's uh, yeah, lovely to sit here and not be fretting over what might and might not happen because that's where we've been the majority of transfer windows in the past. Yeah, Pad, um, let's come to you because I think in terms of positions that we really spoke about all summer and, and have been speaking about all summer, that's Norwich City as uh, a job well done, isn't it? They've strengthened in all areas that they need to strengthen. I mean, we'll probably broaden out and give our opinions on certain areas of the squad and the players they have added. But in terms of how Stuart Webber and the club will be feeling at the moment, do you think they'll be sitting back and reflecting on what has been a very successful window? Absolutely, yeah. And to be honest, we take our temperature because that's part of the job from, from the social media reaction. And I wouldn't say universal, universal, because that's not the society we live in. Um, but the vast majority of Norwich fans that I... Uh, of seeing reacting to these deals, particularly the, the burst over the bank holiday with uh, Matthias Norman uh, and then obviously Ozan Kabak, uh, are almost ecstatic. I would put I would put the mood level at, and uh, if if that's good enough for the majority of the Norwich fan base, then you can rest assured that'll be more than uh, good enough for Stuart Webber, his recruitment people, Daniel Farker, who's been very hands on with a lot of these signings. So, but of course, it's you know there's there's a two way now. It's kind of there's all the signings. We think we've done a very good window we, uh, to take Stuart at his measure. Is the 11 and the squad better than when they started way back, um, you know, two weeks after Barnsley or whatever it was? Um, I think it probably is, but we won't know now and we can't really judge it until we get into playing games with all these new shiny accompaniments. And that starts with Arsenal, the other side of the international break. But 
it's hard not to think that Norwich will be far better now moving forward as as those players bed in, as they adapt, as they gel, um, as we progress through the season. The big imponderable still, despite having a very, very good window, is will that be enough to, to achieve their objective of staying in the division? Time will tell. But um, they're certainly better equipped to, to be able to do that now, I think, and that is a testament to the work they've done um, in purely in monetary terms. It's a window unlike any other. Norwich have never spent this amount of money, even subtracting the Emmy Buendia fee they got from Aston Villa. And um, and for those reasons, I, I don't think it'd be, you know, be interesting to get the, the, the sense from these Norwich fans on the broadcast tonight, but I can't think there'll be too many who don't think Norwich have, quote, had a go. And, and that's all you can ask for. Well, maybe unless they work for a national radio station, at least. Um, I think everyone else will certainly be aware of what Norwich City have, uh, have done this summer. Um, let's Let's kind of reflect on the two that they have brought in in kind of the last 48 hours let's start with Matthias Norman then Dave and, and we were kind of sat on Saturday and we were warned that the next sort of 48 hours or so could be fairly manic and that turned out to be the case Matthias Norman I mean we've spoken so much and we'll speak so much um, during this broadcast about Norwich City's patience and maybe that being a different approach to how they've um, really tackled um, transfer windows in the past when it's been kind of about working their way through targets very quickly and get, trying to get players in the door as soon as possible, as close to the start of pre-season uh, as possible. This has been a marked change to certainly the way Stuart Webber and, and Norwich City have, have done things in the last few seasons. Matthias Norman is another one that represents that, isn't he? Norwich City's interest is long-standing. It was a player that they've, they've wanted probably since um, the, the title was secured um, against Barnsley at the end of the season. In terms of a deal and, and a position, how essential was it for Norwich City that they did get that defensive midfielder in before the deadline closed at what in, in a few hours' time? Absolutely pivotal. Yeah, I think we discuss, we were discussing that three four weeks ago on on the podcast, weren't we? And and so are the vast majority of the the Norwich City bubble really. Oliver Skip was a massive massive part of the success last season. Grant Hanley and Ben Gibson wouldn't have looked as secure. They didn't have Skip in front of them. And yes, they probably held out hope a bit too long. The The injury complicated things a bit, didn't it, as to whether he would get in at Spurs. But then once Nuno had arrived and once he was basically fit enough for the start of pre-season, it was pretty quickly becoming clear that Skip wasn't going to be coming back. He may well have said to, to Stuart and Daniel, look, if I'm going to go out on loan again, I'll happily come back here. But he has now started all three games for Tottenham. They're top of the Premier League. I said, somewhere it popped up that Newcastle were interested in him today, didn't they? I mean, no chance. Tottenham aren't letting, <laughs> letting him out now, are they? He's he's helped them get off to probably their best. Well, it's the isn't, isn't it the first time ever that Tottenham have finished a weekend top and Arsenal bottom? Something like that I saw on, on Match of the Day. But in, in Norwich terms, yeah, Norman was someone that they had on their list. They knew that there was this potential for it, but they always knew it was probably a difficult deal and maybe even one that was going to be beyond them. But as as the season has progressed, I think they have uh, realised that they've got to get that done, that he's the man uh, that they want. And stylistically, I, I think it's interesting as to what Daniel Farker wants. If we if we look at either end of the spectrum in terms of an Ollie skip and from what we've seen from Billy Gilmore so far this season, I think it shows that Daniel knows he needs that defensive midfielder. He knows that he needs someone that's going to provide protection, but he also wants someone that can maybe do a bit more with the ball. And with Norman, from all that we've seen of, of him and 
you're always wary of the YouTube supercuts or the usual things that we say. He looks like he's got an eye for a pass. He looks like he can spray it about a bit. He looks like he likes to get forward and, and crack a few shots from the edge of the box. So this may well be the evolution of what Daniel Farker sees that deep line midfielder being, because we have seen that evolve through his four seasons, haven't we? The Tetty and Tribal combination, he tried Tribal there on his own at times. Leitner and Tribal, McLean and Tribal, we've seen quite a few combinations and he's never seemed to quite uh, be happy with it. But then Skip and McLean or Rutt when he was fit and firing, that seemed to be the best balance that he'd found for, for quite a while. So if he's going to go with a 4-3-3 uh, or a 4-3-2-1, whatever you want to call it, for, for the time being, then he needs a lot from that deep line midfielder. Yeah, he definitely does. And hopefully Norman is, is the man that can fulfil that role. And as you say, certainly all the noises that we've seen and, and there have been various pieces about him written in the, in the past and his sort of um, tactical role, it all seems fairly positive. So let's hope we see that uh, once he does return from, from Norway and joins up with, with Norwich. Um, Pat, does their pursuit of Matthias Norman kind of encapsulate what we were talking about in terms of patience? I mean, it was a, a long pursuit. They were probably rebuffed by player and club at different stages during that. If, we, if we're talking about their... Uh, their interest sort of being backdated to April. That's a long time to pursue a player. Is that does that really show kind of the the marked difference between how they've approached this window and uh, and perhaps how they approached the window two years ago? Hundred percent, Connor. And to be fair, we were sat in a room with Stuart Webber um, after the end of the last season, where he made that point that that was one of the takeaways. Bit of cosmos, yeah. It's got to be done. Well, I mean, it's fairly obvious when you, well, that side. It's fairly obvious there. But I've had people in the supermarket stop me and say, "That's a nice Norwich top, Paddy. Look a bit closer." <laughs> but there you go. Anyway, I digress. But um, yellow yeah. and green, though, isn't it? So yeah, of course, yeah. Well, hence why the yeah, yeah. You're sharp, Connor. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, no absolutely. On him. Let's move on. Let's well, move these on. are <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's move on. But. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, he he referenced it in terms of not panic, but but when they didn't get maybe what they bracketed two seasons ago. Bear in mind they had a smaller, far smaller pot of money, um, and their room for manoeuvre was probably a lot more limited. But nevertheless, when they were getting maybe um, some negativity or not the encouragement for their targets, they moved on to the next one and the next one, and down and down and down the list went. And, and if you were being uncharitable, you'd say, well, what does that tell you for Patrick Roberts, Ralph Farman, Ibrahim Amadou? Et al. Um, but there you go. So this time around, yeah, we're talking about Norman here. Um, you go back and look at Daniel Farker's quotes after Brandon, Brandon Williams arrived. Yes, I know that's a loan, not a permanent deal. But but again, one they'd worked on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, Billy Gilmore, you can be sure the groundwork was going in there. One that didn't happen, but they pursued it for quite some time. Chris Iyer, you know, until, until it got to the point where it was very obvious that Celtic were not going to budge for whatever valuation they had on the guy. But again, um, even for the end of last season, the wheels were starting to turn on, on that one. So, yeah, I think um, and Norman is probably the most extreme example that they have waited and waited. When maybe, you know, given the first three games and the whole talk around, as Dave has mapped out there, they didn't have that Ollie Skip type presence. And clearly Billy Gilmore isn't that. And maybe it was a little bit unfair to ask him, you know, to take that burden on. But they still, if they clearly felt they were going to get some encouragement for Norman the longer they waited and waited uh, they were willing to to stay true to that target and it's paid off and uh, and now we all hope as I said in my introductory comments that you know he looks like 
he fits the criteria. But let's see him now. You know, he didn't he didn't really play well. He didn't play at all when he was at Brighton in England before. I know he's a much younger man. He said it himself. He's found himself playing out in Russia. Um, and by all accounts, he's probably a bit too good for the Russian league. So it's a big step up, as it is with Kabak. And um, and you just hope that these guys are upgrades on, on what Norwich have. I think they, they you feel they have to be um, for all the reasons already stated. But I just think it's a lot of pressure now to put on this young man. And he looks clearly very confident. You see him on the, on his social media accounts. I don't think he's a man who lacks for self-belief, but in that way, you, you've got to be, got to be have something about you to, wear, to have a silvery blue type of haircut anyway, whatever, whatever shade we're going with on that one. But um, it, it is asking a lot for him to come in and immediately, you know, Oliver skip who. So, so I'm, I'm going to reserve a little bit of judgment, but he's the one, they feel is capable of taking it on. And the fact that they waited as long as they did, you have to back their judgment. So let's see if he's as good as they think he is, because clearly they wouldn't have waited this long, almost at the end of the window uh, to bring him in. If they didn't think, yes, he's our number one target in that position. We're going to wait. So proof will be in the pudding with everything uh, to do with these signings. Yes, they've got the business done and hat tip to Stuart and his team, but um, yeah, but, um, but ultimately, can Daniel now, I think, focus firmly shifts to Daniel. Can Daniel now meld this group into an effective Premier League outfit week in, week out? And if they do that, then I think we could have a, a, a good season ahead. If, if I had a body like Matthias Norman, I think I'd be posting it all over Instagram as well, <laughs> to be honest. Still time, you're only a young man. Get yourself in the gym, mate. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, hold that thought on 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 where sort of Daniel Farker is within this because we'll we'll come back uh, to this. We'll, we'll also be getting them um, the guys. I haven't told them about this yet, so I'm sort of preparing you guys now. We'll also uh, come to you for maybe some some good deadline day stories um, in years gone by that uh, maybe you guys have got. I'm thinking probably Yannick Vildskut, and there are probably several others as well. Maybe ones that, that haven't happened for various reasons. We'll, we'll try and get those a little bit later. So um, uh, I'll put you on uh, on warning for that. Um, let's move on then to. Ozan Kabak, he is Norwich City's final incoming bit of business um, on loan from Schalke, uh, a view, well, an option to to buy next summer if, if all goes well, presumably if Norwich stay in, in the Premier League, given the fee involved. He's, he's a player that has a lot of excitement around him, was on loan at Liverpool last season, was very highly rated at Schalke and Stuttgart before that, played for Galatasaray in the Champions League when he was 18 years old. So much pedigree and experience for a 21-year-old. Um, Dave, how impressive of a signing is this for Norwich City, given his pedigree, what, kind of what I've outlined there, but also some of the clubs that were linked to him this summer. Torino were pressing hard. Newcastle were said to have been interested. Norwich seem to have, as they tend to do under Stuart Webber, timed their run to, to perfection. Yeah, um, it is certainly one that is potentially pretty exciting. Um, I think with him being 21 and the way his career has gone so far, I, I don't want to sort of pin Norwich's survival hopes on him or anything because we'll have to see how it develops but he's had quite the career considering he doesn't turn 22 until March I think it is as you say playing for Galatasaray which comes with a heck of a lot of pressure to be doing that at 18 and playing in the Champions League then he goes to Stuttgart they get relegated so he goes to Schalke six months uh, uh you know has one season there then six months into the next season he's at Liverpool while Schalke are absolutely imploding he has a bit of a disciplinary scrape, shall we call it. He got a, a one-game ban upgraded to a five-game ban because he was he was sanctioned for spitting at a player. He insists that he didn't mean to do it. Um, and if you look at the video, you, you can sort of see 
where he's coming from. He says the TV angle was bad. I wasn't meaning to spit at him. I was just spitting, basically. But they weren't convinced he got his five-game ban. He was very apologetic, insisted it will never happen again. He'll be more careful, etc. So um, it wasn't like he went up to someone two foot into their face and just really went for it aggressively or anything like that. But he does that. He goes to Liverpool and that goes there at a really tough time, doesn't he? When they're in defensive injury crisis, Matty, Gomez and, of course, Van Dijk all out, which is basically why they lost the title last season, wasn't it? And after a bit of a shaky start, he seemed to win the Liverpool fans over. And just as things were going well, he played in the uh, Champions League last 16 and the quarterfinal. And he gets a bit of an injury and, and is ruled out. And there's a bit at Pinkin.com, which I pulled together earlier, Jurgen Klopp's thoughts on him at the end of last season when the local media was saying, well, are you going to sign Kabak? He said he's been absolutely incredible. Ultimately, they decided to go and sign Ibrahima Kanate at Red Bull Leipzig, who was a more experienced player, £36 million player. And they maybe didn't think that the the deal that they'd negotiated was was quite worth it for Kabak. They just needed defenders. They signed um is it Andrew Davies from from Preston as well, didn't they? Ben, um, ben Davies. Ben Davies, yeah. sorry, yeah. Um so they were desperate for defenders, weren't they? And in the end, Kabak ended up pr- working out pretty well. Him and Nat Phillips, their academy product, ended up forming a pretty decent central defensive partnership. So if he can build on that, that Premier League momentum. At 21, the Norwich could very quickly have a serious asset on their hands. Already 12 caps for Turkey. And we saw how much money Ben Godfrey went. If you are a progressive ball playing, um, but still strong defensively centre-back, you can be worth a lot of money very quickly. We've seen with um, John Stones, Harry Maguire, etc., etc. A couple of comments. um, I'll bounce one back to, to you, Connor, before we come to Paddy. But um, somebody asked about his international duty here it is from William and um, he is joining up with Turkey but Turkey are on the red list and they're also playing Montenegro I think it's tomorrow night who are also on the red list so I've asked the club about this and basically they've said at the moment they're in talks with the Turkish Association as I'm sure a lot of clubs are because the Premier League had said that players weren't to play in countries that are on the red list so Milot Rashica for instance isn't going to isn't going to play for Kosovo in Georgia um, but will then play in their other games that follow. So we'll have to see what happens with Kabak because he's literally only just become a Premier League player. He was due to be playing in those games. The Argentinian lads at Villa, including Emi Buendia, have found a loophole, haven't they? And I suspect that most players involved in the Premier League will find a loophole and will play for their countries. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. But specifically on Kabak, Tom asked this, if I bounce it back to you, Connor. Hi, guys. Will we play Kabak in a three or will he possibly replace Gibson or Hanley? So what, what are both of your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I was, I was, I was going to come to Paddy on, on just this point, actually. And it's, it's interesting for me that I think throughout the summer, the, the kind of line has been, we'll, we'll only sign a centre-back if, if they represent a step up to the options that, that we already have. So that doesn't imply that we're going to see a switch to a free and that would probably also include Norwich losing a player at the other end of the pitch. And and then it's about how you kind of restructure that. And that to me would feel quite a big jump from what they're trying to do at the moment with this 4-3-3. But again, I think we spoke about it on the podcast to an extent where 
you never know the possibility of, or signing Norman may open the possibility to doing something a little bit different tactically because they haven't really had that midfielder they can rely on defensively. And there may be a, a little period where Daniel Farker just tries to work Norman out and to make sure he's, he's fully got his trust before he can absolutely depend on him. And maybe we'll see him revert to the 4-2-3-1 or whatever. But at this stage, I don't really see a free. I don't think it's completely off the off the cards, but I must admit, I don't see it completely. I, I was going to come to, to you on this point, Pad, because that has been the line from the club in terms of they would only sign a centre-back if it was a marked improvement on what they had, so i.e. Ben Gibson and, and Grant Hanley. So where do you kind of see Kabak entering that debate and, and how do you think it kind of shifts how Daniel Farker might look to play in the Premier League? Well, I mean, ultimately he will play and it's who plays alongside him for the reason you just stated there. They see him quite clearly as an upgrade on their existing central defensive stocks. Um, and I think it will be too. And and if it's essentially then Hanley or Gibson, I think it's going to be Hanley. And I know he plays on, he's a right-sided centre-back, but I think the feeling inside the club is that he can operate on that left-hand berth. And I, I, for various reasons, I, I don't see Hanley being... Uh, if you're Daniel Farker deferring to Ben Gibson. So, um, I th- and let's be honest, I think you might have made the point earlier, you know, both of them have had disrupted pre-season. So, you know, you need to come a little bit of slack, you know, Gibson obviously coming back off the, the ankle issue that curtailed his season last season. Big Grant goes away with Scotland, the, the Euros playing very well, final game gets an issue. Um, and then he was one of those who had to self-isolate for, for Corona purposes. So by no means have they had the perfect pre-seasons, but, but I, I was. I think it was evident, you know, Leicester on Saturday, and, and that is a valuable point you make as well. That the, any debate about how well or not those two have done so far has to accept that they haven't had a skip slash Norman offering them a little bit of protection. So I think we need to caveat that with any discussion of their performances so far. But for me, it was a bit concerning, you know, Ben Gibson's lack of pace at the top top level um, when he was exposed in wide areas. You know, both when he tried to track out shut down Ricardo Pereira and got nowhere near. And there was one or two other instances where it was almost last last ditch type of blocks on the likes of Vardy and Madison. And and that would concern me a little bit that, that what we're going to have there is week in, week out, if he gets isolated, you'd, you'd be a bit concerned. So I must confess, I don't know if, if Kabak is is a speedster. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen enough of him, but I, I'm assuming that he is an athlete. You look at him, he looks a powerful um player uh, with that natural athleticism as well as decent on the ball. So right here, right now, happy to be proved wrong, but I, I, I think it'll be Gibson making way. I don't see him immediately going to a three for the reasons you stated there, Connor. I think that's something maybe from opponent to opponent and within games that it might allow him to do, but I don't see this as the beginning of a new dawn with three base formation and then wing backs. Um, because I think that's injecting too many variables at this stage. It's trying to meld uh, a system and a style of play within a new group of players, essentially, uh, and bed that in. So for those reasons, I think it will be still the two. And, you know, I would I would, would expect it'll be Gibbo missing out. And um, and then it'll be up to, you know, Hanley and Kabak, if it is, to, to prove that they can play both individually and collectively at a level that ensures that they are more often than not the starting two. Yeah, what what Kabak's arrival does mean is that Norwich now have competition in in every single department, whether that's up front with with Timu Puki and Josh Sargent or at the back with probably two of those three starting on a regular basis. So that is going to drive the the competition up a little bit. I I did see a comment a minute ago, I think it was um, from Ben on YouTube, about 
elite athletes being on the exemptions job list for, for the red list countries. Um, that isn't the case. The Premier League have uh, released a statement saying that the clubs will block um, players who, who are going to play in red countries, essentially because of the hotel quarantine, the concern for fitness. Um, the Argentinian lads have kind of defied that. But as Dave said, they have found a loophole in that they're on their way back to the UK. They're going to isolate on like a Croatian island um, where, where they're going to be allowed to train um, and, uh, and then fly back to the UK so they don't lose out on any fitness, which... Um, uh, is is you know something that, that everyone else would be able to do if they went abroad. So um, it's, it's always good. Uh, Pat, just to, to throw it back to you on Kabak very quickly because uh, I've got a sense we, we may be talking about something else in just a moment. Um, <laughs> that that deal and his arrival. Do you think that was as as quick as perhaps it progressed? I mean, it, it initially came from what a, a Sunday Mail report on what well, on Sunday Sunday evening that um, it. He, Norwich were probably interested in signing him along with Newcastle. Um, and then we skipped to Monday morning where he's actually arrived in Norfolk on a plane. So is this Norwich sensing an opportunity and completely going for it? Or do you think there were probably weeks of, of work put into that deal? Uh, somewhere in between, Connor, I think. Yeah, this, I don't think that Stuart Webber woke up on Sunday morning and thought, my God, did you see those two? The Sunday Mail. <laughs> yeah, did you, well, did you see those two against Leicester? We need to act. I, I don't think yeah. it was kind of that. Um as you rightly say, Connor, I'm getting distracted by a certain piece of news that it could be dropping at any moment. But uh, by the same token, it sounds like, you know, well, we know they started off the summer and it was Aya, um, but that didn't obviously happen. And and as a result, you know, they had to move it on. And, um, you know, Adorabayo at Fulham, he was looked at. Borneo, um, Cologne, was it? Off the top of my head. He was looked at. Neither of those um, sufficiently, you know, tickled their fancy, it's safe to say, because I'm sure deals could have been done if they were willing to progress on those two fronts. Um, and, and that tells me that probably there was a, there was a, there was an acceptance that Quebec could be available and they could probably, again, what we said earlier in, in, in the broadcast, bide your time, keep your cards close to your chest and, um, and play the waiting game. And, and obviously once... I think Torino had a little nibble last week and um, the player, it sounds to me like a lot of it was driven by the player who wanted to get back to the Premier League after having had a taste of it um, with Liverpool. He was offered to numerous Premier League clubs, I understand. Clearly, nobody showed as firm an interest as Norwich. And then once they did, I think it's pretty easy to put that type of deal together if all parties are amenable. Um, and as a result, you know, I think he said himself he was on a plane at 5am yesterday, arrived into England, slightly delayed, but then commenced his medical formalities, da, 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 signed his contract, and he's holding up a Norwich shirt, you know, some point in, in the afternoon. So I think with a lot of these deals, the legwork is what takes the time. But once once it's a green for go, then it happens very quickly. Absolutely. Um, uh, the, the clock has just ticked over to six o'clock. So I think we, we can say now uh, that Norwich City have um, come to an agreement with Tim Closer over his contract. He's uh, departed yeah. um, mutually, um, what, a year or so early on his deal. Of course, probably not a massive shock given he spent the entirety of last season um, on loan at FC Basel. There was an option to make that deal permanent in that loan agreement that wasn't um, taken up by FC Basel. And essentially now um, his contract has been freed up. Uh, he's been training away from the first team group. He can go and join a club um, outside of the transfer window, which I'm sure will be um, probably in everyone's thinking. And, and I'm sure most Norwich fans will we we'll wish Tim close to the best. Five years he, he was at the club, signed in January 2016 for what an initial £8.5 million from Wolfsburg. It was pretty, pretty well, tremendous really between when he signed to that day he got the injury against Crystal Palace, which essentially derailed Norwich City's survival campaign. Um, 
he then remained uh, and, and, and stayed with the club in the Championship. Many expected him to go. That first season was very difficult. He probably got saved a little bit by Daniel Farker and his, his role um, in that team. A bit more ball playing probably suited him a lot more. Uh, of course, injuries have, have kind of scuppered him throughout. Um, I think Dave is, is sorting out the, the little bits and pieces of that. So I'll come back to you then, Pad, on Tim Closer. I mean, as, uh, as 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 good a player he was, uh, and we certainly saw that in patches of his Norwich City career. Is it fair to say that ultimately injuries probably got the better of him in the end? I remember that project restart period where, he, yeah. I mean, he was he was he was in there, but he was he was practically playing on one leg, wasn't he? And to be fair, Daniel Farker said subsequently wasn't fair on him at all. He wasn't anywhere near fit. I mean, he pretty much missed the whole of that season. That was the season he'd done his knee at, or was it his ankle at uh, Stevenage, wasn't it? In the little Crawley, sorry, in the League Cup. Um, and pretty much from that point in early August, was it, to the restart period, he'd played no football at all, but needs must. You know, Norwich's chronic central defensive issues um, came back to haunt them again at the back end of that season. And when they really needed the team to step up and they needed Tim Closer to step up, his body just wasn't, you know, Premier League battle-hardened and that was, wasn't his fault. Uh, it was just the situation that everybody found themselves in. So I think we can overlook that period. For me, though, the injury that really scuppered him was two seasons prior, that first six months when he was brought in to keep that team, the Alex Neal team, in that Premier League. And by Jove, how good was he in those first few months? He looked to steal at eight, eight and a half million from Wolfsburg. Such a leader, such a, a cultured central defender. We've talked a lot here about central defenders and what Norwich have now got in the building, but my God, he was he was a very classy operator, um, suited to the Premier League more so than the Championship. You know, he said himself, but it was it was quite an eye opener getting battered by Daryl Murphy at Portman Road early the following season, and you know, as a result, I think he preferred the the, the more refined air of the Premier League, and, and and that suited him. But sadly, he got that injury at Palace. I think it was he did his knee uh, originally, um, and that was the end of him. And that was also the end of Norwich in the Premier League that season. And what ifs? Who knows? You know, if he'd have if he'd have stayed fit, Norwich has stayed up that season. We might still be talking about Tim Closer as Norwich's main man central defensively because he was he was certainly more than good enough. But it is a, it is a shame. But I've just put a tweet out. I mean, we'll always have Ipswich, won't we? That's what he'll be remembered for. That celebration, that maniacal celebration um, in front of the Barclay. And what a lovely fella! Really genuine. Guy, we all we all saw how he interacted on social media with fans. I can guarantee now, as we're speaking, that the outpouring of love and affection from the Norwich fans towards him will underline a little bit like with Marco Stephen early in the uh, summer. I'm pretty sure, you know how how closely they those players were taken to the hearts and, and the affections of Norwich fans. So it is sad, but that's football cycle. Certainly at the top level, that there can't be any room for sentiment now. Certainly, what Norwich are trying to achieve and and, and go on to achieve. So you wish him all the best. And, you know, I saw a few interviews with him where he was one of these who was sort of hinting that him and his family loved it so much here that, you know, maybe they would sort of post football, sort of either have a base here or actually base themselves here. And I hope that comes to pass and that maybe what, what's happened in his, yeah, exactly, what happened in terms of on the pitch in the last sort of 12 months or so hasn't soured his affection for Norfolk. I'm sure, I'm sure that wouldn't be the case. But lovely fella, great player in his prime. Um but ultimately time moves on. So we wish him all the best. And, and I look forward now to see what this football career holds or whether he feels maybe it's time to hang up the boots. It'll be interesting to see where he goes next. Yeah, 33 years of age. So um, probably um, closing 
his football career. We, we saw him on his Instagram on a flight to Switzerland. So this maybe isn't a, a massive shock, but I, I think we can see from the kind of feeling of the comments that have come in um, that he, he's a player that was well liked by both supporters and, and his fellow pros as well. And I think it's fair to say at his stage of, uh, of his career, he does need to be playing football, doesn't he? Um, Dave, I'll, I'll come to you then on on Tim. Um uh, as I said, a really popular figure, as Pad says, someone that um, will probably ultimately be remembered for that goal against uh, Ipswich. But from a business perspective, Norwich City started this summer with probably four players that they needed to shift. Mo Leitner, Tom Tribal, uh, Josip Dermic and obviously Tim Closer as well. We sit here with a few hours left in the window. All four have obviously Joseph uh, Joseph Dermic still technically contracted to the club, but on loan um, away um, at Rijeka with, with well, he was contracted up next season, essentially. So that is essentially permanent. To have sorted those four players out uh, and to get them largely off the wage bill is something that Stuart Weber probably would have been keen to do this window. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense just to have none of that uncertainty around, none of those players sort of hanging around in the background. I don't, I don't think we've really had any suggestion that any of them are bad characters. I mean, certainly not Tim Closer. He's a huge, bubbly character, isn't he, on the whole? The whole... the. Uh, Josh Murphy falling out of the boat and then making sure he got back in again and all that sort of stuff. He's um he's he's a top bloke, Tim Closer, and um yeah we've he's been brutally honest about the the way he came into football, hasn't he? In in recent years as well about how he had this sort of troubled upbringing where he was uh, what was the line? He he was asleep on a park bench, drunk when he was fifteen or something like that, wasn't he? And he was in a real bad place before he met the the woman that turned out to be his wife and she basically sort of saved his life and things like that. And he's gone on to have a, have a good career. He did well at Wolfsburg, played in the Champions League. And unfortunately things have, you know, gone off the boil for him, but this mutual agreement as, as you've teed up there, as we've seen with a few of the players allows him to, to pursue a deal a, a little more easily. Uh, Tom Tribal signed for Hanover, I think within 24 hours of, of his Norwich contract being cancelled, didn't it, or being announced at the very least. So having all those loose eye, loose ends tied up is good because there's a lot of players on the books. You know, you know, Dermich sort of still on the books, isn't he? He's out on loan for the season, but he, he isn't going to be getting another contract at Norwich. I looked earlier, didn't I? Six goals in nine games. Uh, Dermich has got. I had to check to make sure that he wasn't back in the Switzerland squad and. Um, Steeperman, equally, sometimes in football, you just reach a point where it makes sense for both parties to part ways. Louis Thompson all came down to his injuries, didn't it? Farker and Weber really liked him. They gave him that long contract, but he just couldn't get fit enough to be sort of relevant to Norwich City squad. And it's the same with Tim. And I think he probably took a lot of flack during that project restart period where he was playing playing on after that serious injury and struggling, really. And he, he was pretty open about the fact that he was struggling with it, didn't he? And then we saw him and Hernandez and and Puki was it in the dugout, sat there looking really down in the dumps while Max and Todd were on the pitch close to tears because relegation had been confirmed by that awful 4-0 defeat to West Ham. And he, he cared about the club. There's no doubt about that. And I think like with Steeperman and, and Tribal, maybe Lightner not to quite the same extent because he disappeared a bit more quickly. There will be a, a strong connection there forever and he will be remembered as someone who who did a lot for the club. No more than I'm just seeing it actually tweeted just as I say it. That goal 
against Ipswich, the equaliser, which was just a magic moment, wasn't it? It was the, uh, oh no, when are they ever going to beat them? Which will will never be forgotten, will it? And uh, yeah, I'm sure all Norwich fans will, will wish Tim Closer all the best and hope that he can just find one more club to, to enjoy his football a bit before he starts to wind down. Yeah, hopefully that's in Switzerland as well, and uh, he can he can kind of go home and, and enjoy some time with his family as well as he did last yeah. season. I think um, he, he was probably slightly disappointed not to have um, got that permanent deal at Basel. That would have been perfect for all parties, but now he gets an opportunity to do that. I know lots of people are speaking, and, and Neil has, has said it there, and as you mentioned, a few people have said it on social media. That goal against Ipswich, I, I'll tell you what I I remember about Tim Closer um, as as well as obviously the goal against um, Ipswich uh, in that epic game at Carrow Road on Boxing Day when Norwich came back to draw 3-3 with Nottingham Forest. He's nutmeg on the edge of the box. <laughs> yeah. Just put Hernandez through. I mean, there's not many big, tall centre-backs that you'd uh, you'd see nutmeg the ball in that situation. So, <laughs> I think that probably showed uh, his technical ability. And, Pad, just just finally on, on Tim Closer, I mean, we kind of mentioned injuries maybe scuppering his progress to an extent. And, I mean, five years, 100 games isn't a, a huge deal, to, to be completely honest. Um but he's someone that Daniel Farker really liked and really liked from the moment that he, he stepped into Norwich City. That's actually a fantastic point, Connor, because he, more more than any other player that Daniel encountered when he first got there, was that bridge. Um, obviously, probably the fact that, you know, the Swiss-German element and was able to converse with Daniel and his and his backroom team that had come in. But but not only the, the, the language barrier, but just as a senior presence in that dressing room, um, I'm sure he was a massive, massive sounding board for Daniel when, as we know, that was a very tough first season for him, finished below Ipswich. Um, who, who who would have ever thought that was possible? And uh, I'm sure in that season, Daniel would have learned so much in a very short period of time. And and a lot of that would have been down to Tim Closer, uh, who'd been through it uh, and understood the differences between maybe the Bundesliga and German football Um and, and the environment that he'd come into and, and maybe open Daniel's eyes to many of the facets. And obviously I probably won't get to speak to Daniel now much before Arsenal, but, but when we do, uh, we'll ask him about him closer and I, I would guarantee he would make the same points that uh, not just as a player and his ability at that point, when he was still very, very much a, a key player for him, but just in terms of off the field. Um, and as I say, you know, when we got off this broadcast tonight, the amount of, Current and former Norwich players will be queuing up on social uh, to thank him for his time. It speaks volumes. Yeah, it absolutely does. I'm going to read this comment from Matt, which which sums it up and, and probably prompts the last question on Closer. Um, he said, the best thing about those players, Tribal, Lightner, Closer, Vrancic, Tetti, etc., they helped build the success um, that Norwich are experiencing now. They were the foundations that this was all built on. Um, he said the supporters owe them a huge debt of gratitude coming and building the philosophy, um, the grounded, humble, hardworking approach that we see now. Um, Dave, just to throw that across to you, finally, on, on Tim Closer, um, Chris Gorham wrote, uh, in, in his column for, for us this week about there being almost a, this being the second cycle of Daniel Farker mm. and Stuart Webber's reign at Norwich City that we've kind of seen the, the German influx, if you want to label it like that. They weren't all German. Some of them were closer, obviously, Swiss international. Um, this now seems like we're seeing kind of the second cycle of that with Rashica Zolis and um, players who are now sort of taking contracts up to 2024. Do you think that's kind of a, a fair reflection of where Norwich City are at the moment, kind of between cycles of players and, and cycles of kind of transfer approaches yeah webolution 2.0 i think uh, i think chris it. deemed it as didn't he so yeah that that can't be forgotten and and also um what shouldn't be overlooked is that that first half of 2018-19 
Closer was excellent, wasn't he? Before he got his injury, he was a big, big part of that team. And I've said it before, uh, the the 4-1 win at Swansea, I, I, I always remember it mainly because I'd, I'd spent that, I was very fortunate to spend the sort of 10 days or so in Tampa with the squad uh, ahead of that Swansea game. And before the break and before they'd gone to Tampa and had that warm weather training, it was the Millwall 4-3, wasn't it? And they managed to somehow win that game and stay top of the table. And I was terrified of them coming back from Tampa and losing that game at Swansea and everyone banging on about Tampa being to blame. So I was quite nervous about that game. And they were superb that day. It was probably Leitner's best game in a Norwich shirt other than maybe the Newcastle game in the Premier League. And I always felt like there was a supply line there. It was Krull, Closer, Leitner, Steepham and Pookie with some very good players around them, Wendy, etc. So, yeah, I, I think that's where he, that's the best football he played for the club. Less so the the one that we'll never forget, Pad, uh, the 5-0 at Brighton when he tried that ridiculous pirouette on the ball at half on the halfway line uh, when Alex Neal was absolutely furious, wasn't he? <laughs> so he, he had some real ups and downs a, a, along the way. But um, yeah, those guys have been the foundation of it. And, and more, more than that, I don't think it's just on the pitch. I think it was off the pitch, wasn't it? It was the culture. It was all the Germans. It was the Farker waves. It was the... Uh, sort of cultural shift at the club of all these overseas players that came in and brought a new flavour to it and a new uh, new connection for the fans. And the big characters like Tim and, and Zimbo were a big part of all that. And yeah, they won't be forgotten. And, and I, I do think, I'm sure, that the club w- won't miss the trick. That at some point when it's possible to bring all these guys back for a big... Um, you know, on the pitch, farewell, a proper farewell. Maybe there'll even be another sort of Russ v. Wes game at some point because there's a lot of players that have left, haven't they, and who haven't been able to um, say goodbye properly or, or even players that the fans didn't get to see really on the pitch. You know, what Skip, Godfrey, Tete, Vrancic, Leitner, Steepham and Tribal. There's loads of them. You could probably fill one team at the very least of the players who've departed in that sort of scenario. So, yeah, it's... It is goodbye for now, but I, I'm sure we will see them all again. And I'm sure they will all at some point, hopefully through us, <laughs> uh, speak to the fans and reflect on, on the good times. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we wish Tim well. And it's, uh, it is going to be interesting to, to see where he ends up. Welcome to the new normal. Hello and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Pad, we, we speak about there of almost this being kind of the second generation of the Weber Farker era, if that's how you want to label it. Do, do you see this one being slightly different in the type of players that Norwich City have recruited and attracted. They, they've tended to be younger, um, perhaps have higher reputations. Obviously, that comes because of the difference in where the club has has got to rather than where they were when it was inherited by, by Stuart Webber and, and Daniel Farker. But do you see a group of players now that for three or four years, providing, of course, Norwich can get Premier League survival this season, which is easier said than done. But this being a group of players that can really grow together and not just grow collectively and individually, but also grow the club as well. Absolutely. And and the strategic nature that Stuart Webber particularly, but also Daniel now with each long contract that he signs and his lieutenants, 
is it is they, they, how often do we hear the the mid to longer term it, it influences a lot of their planning you know it isn't about yes it, of course it's about winning games of football but what they're trying to do is almost break that cycle that it, everything is so short termism and it's very hard to do um at the elite end of professional football with, with all the pressures and the demands for instant success but part of that is yeah is that evolutionary approach to to how you put a squad together and it's very hard in this day and age because you know the the reality is we'll pick one Zolis, you know lives up to the expectations and goes on to be as good as Daniel thinks he can be then the reality is there will be clubs with far deeper pockets who can offer him probably better footballing opportunities who will come and maybe not come that far down the line and and then you know you're having to go again and just tweak it again but i think fundamentally yeah if they could get a core of players who could stay together are good enough this season so as you say Connor stay in the Premier League then they'd add to it again next summer of that we have no doubt and and every season they stay up with the self-funded model obviously um you know we hope we don't have another issue where there's a massive hole caused by a you know a, a, well once in a century type event that uh, drains millions and millions of pounds away um that, that otherwise would have probably gone into the squad again then ultimately they'll be getting more expensive players and then more expensive players. And by doing that, you're just continually increasing the quality. And ultimately, that was that's what Stuart said to us. One of the things he said to us at the start of the summer, it was about thinning out the squad. And part of that is what we're seeing with the closers and, and all the other guys, but also raising the quality threshold so that Daniel can look around and, you know, if, if Rashid isn't available, he's got Jolis. If Billy Gilmore doesn't play, he's got, you know, a, a Norman or a, you know, Lise Malou to throw into the mix. If now in defensive areas, you know, the centre-backs that you go want to go with aren't available, then there are other options. And ultimately, Daniel didn't have that two years ago. We could all, with a fair win, certainly in the second part of the season, name that 1-11 to um, because there wasn't really anybody else who could come in who was good enough to improve what he had. And let's be honest, that 11 wasn't good enough. So this time around, completely different. And that's why, you know, the focus is going to shift to Daniel and what he can do with this group of players because he's got the resource now to certainly be competitive and certainly to be far better than they were two seasons ago. Um, but yeah, I think that is very much that group that they've assembled. You look at the age profile, there's only Lise Malou and Gibson really who are probably the other side of 25 of all those players who've come in. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any of the other ones. Um, and that tells you, just simply looking at the age profile, that this is a group who could stay together for two seasons, three seasons, but then we all know how, how Premier League football works, certainly. But uh, for now, that's, I'm sure, one of the facets driving what they've tried to do this window. But, you know, ultimately, it's for that group to show that they're not just potential in the cases of Zolis or Sargent or Rashica, but they are actually, sooner rather than later, genuine Premier League-grade players and that's the excitement that we've got to come now, that we've got all these shiny new toys. Can Daniel put them together and put them on the park and put a cohesive team out that, as I said at the start, more often than not can compete and can pick up points because it's not enough just to, as they did Saturday last, go toe-to-toe with Leicester for long spells but then come out of it losing the game through really their own individual errors in two key transitional moments. We need to see not only the potential, but also the start to see some productivity from these guys as well. And, um, and there'll be no better time to start than Arsenal on the other side of the international break.
Exactly. We'll, we'll come to um, to Daniel in just a moment and how he kind of put these puts all these pieces together. But we all um, put together our, our kind of three top signings this summer. We, we, we kind of ranked them. Um, you can you can view that on Pinkin.com. I, I went for Norman, Scholis uh, and Kabak in that order, I think. Um, I don't know who you gents went for. Um, Dave, I think you had... Did you have Gilmore in your three? No, you had Rashid's in your three, I think, didn't you? Yeah, I had Norman as one. Rashitsa two and Gilmore three, uh, taking a little bit of a gamble with Gilmore perhaps, but um, I want I want to sort of show faith with the lad because he's got he's obviously got a lot of ability about him. It's not been the best of starts, but I'd be I'll be really intrigued to see what can happen if, for instance, Norman takes that slightly deeper role and he is playing in one of the slightly more advanced roles because you can see he can pick out a pass and he can ping a pass, so. He, he's got too much ability. We saw it in that England game at the Euros. He was exceptional that night and it's not quite happened for him, for him yet. But yeah, I, I think Norman for me is the, the pivotal one, but I, I like a lot of what we've seen from Rashid's and I think consistently over the season, I think we'll, we will see him contribute. And it's just, he's not, um, he's not quite found his shooting boots yet, has he? No, he hasn't. And and on that front, well, I was I was going to extend that out and, and ask uh, our viewers watching um, to to maybe list their top summer signing from Norwich City, or if you want to name a top three, go ahead and um, we'll, we'll flash some of them up. But Dave, I, I will bounce it back to you. Your Daniel Farker, I think Paddy's mapped out there compared to two years ago. The competition in the in the squad, the quality in the squad is significantly greater than it was. So how do you put all these shiny new toys together into kind of a cohesive? working football team that is good enough to stay in the Premier League. That is now the big challenge that he has. Yeah, that's the easy one, isn't it? Um, and I think it puts, frankly, I think it does put a, uh, an element of pressure on Daniel because Stuart Webb has done his job now. The recruitment team have done their job. There's pretty much universal approval of the transfer work that they've done. Most people in agreement that Farker has now got the tools. He has got the arsenal to turn to. Uh, to try and get the Premier League survival. And I think from this point, given that they've got a January transfer window where, I don't know, at this moment in time, I'm speaking off the top of my head, they may not have a great deal more funds to tweak. Um, they've probably spent most of what's going to be available this season already, uh, rather than holding anything back for January. But we'll see how that evolves. So I think if they were to be relegated from this point, it would be pretty much seen as as a failure. And certainly if form doesn't really get going in the next 10 games, shall we say, then I think there's going to be questions asked as to whether Farker is getting enough out of out of the squad with all the context of the disrupted pre-season um, and, and whatnot. But the actual shape of how it looks, I, I, I wonder if we will see Daniel gravitate back towards the 4-2-3-1, which is where the majority of his success has been built upon. It suits Campwell and Dowell better. It almost feels like Dowell is... Is surplus to, to requirements if you're going to play a 4-3-3, unless you're playing Bournemouth's reserves in the cup, um, which he was more than capable of of, of dealing with. Uh, playing Leicester or Arsenal is a very, very dis different deal, isn't it? With Kabak, on top of what Pad said earlier, I, I think at least he gives you the option to play here at the back. And that's that's what I wanted to see at Manchester City. That They were on a hiding to nothing that day. There was no, there was incredibly small chance of them winning that game. And I would much rather have seen them not quite part of the bus because Daniel Farke is never going to do that, but to set up far more defensively and, and just do whatever you can to to frustrate Manchester City because I don't think they did that anywhere near enough. And 
you know, within 10, 15 minutes, the game was basically over, wasn't it? And they would have been, if they could have played three at the back, especially now they've got a player of Kabat's quality, I would have much preferred to see them try that. But just from everything we've seen from Daniel over the years, I don't think that's really something that he particularly fancies because it takes away too much from the attacking threat. So I think we'll probably end up going towards 4-2-3-1. In the short term, maybe that's at least Malou and Norman. Um, and you might even see Gilmore used as a, as a 10. Um, I don't know. We'll see how that evolves. But ultimately, if Jolis really gets going, I think we, the best attacking threat uh, particularly at home and against more direct rivals, is going to be Rashica, Campwell, Scholis, and then Pukki, maybe Sargent. But I still think Pukki, if he gets himself going this season, that's your front four, which can do damage in the Premier League. And then it's about having a, a solid foundation behind them. And as long as you've got someone in who's maybe not the same as Skip, but has got the same mentality or is, or is asked to have the same unselfish mentality where you are there to protect those centre-backs and to fill in the gaps when the full-backs go forward because they will continue to go forward. They're Max Aarons and, and Yanulis or Williams and Farker wants his full-backs to attack. That, those central midfielders have got a big responsibility to making the whole team tick. Um, and Kenny McLean's a good example of that, isn't he? How good he is in the air with uh, defensive clearances at corners and things like that. Kenny is... Uh, a pretty un, uh, a pretty selfless player in terms of doing what it is what is needed for the team. So the big thing is Daniel has got a lot of options. He's got a lot of variation available to him, and now he's got to find that solution. And he has got to find that solution. They can't the form can't continue to be poor through until Christmas or anything because that means they're going back to the championship pretty much. They've got to find some solutions, and they've got to find them pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and as people have already pointed out, it's it's going to be tough when he's um well he's, he's signed Norman and and, and Kabak. He's got those two available, but then they've immediately jetted off and headed out on international duty. So so that makes the task a little bit tougher. And I mean that front four that you were painting there is uh, is well very exciting. If if we get to see that on the pitch at, at some point, we've had loads of comments about uh, people's uh, top three signings. Um, there you go. It's a big call already from uh, very from big his, call. Yeah, Chaz Tats, which is uh, good to see. Neil has uh, listed his top three of Rashica, Scholis, and Kabak. Um, very kind, <laughs> Neil. Very kind. Five, five pounds is on, is is in the post. Don't you worry about that. Um, Chaz Tats again has said uh, Zolis is our best sign in my opinion. Then Gilmore, then Kabak. Zolis is nineteen. Looks like real Farka can mould him into a quality player for us. Jake Tidy, uh, is, I'll, I'll go backwards, but he said three Kabak, two Rashica, one Zolis. Um, we have had a few more as well. Uh, Lee Coates, top three, Norman, Solis and uh, Kabak, which seems to be auto-correcting to Gabab because that's uh, that seems to be in a lot of comments <laughs> at the moment. So um, that's that's one for the phones to get used to. Phil has uh, said top three signs, Daniel Farker, Solis and Rashica. So, there you go, which is which is a good one to add. Yeah, Daniel Farker signed obviously his, his new four year deal. So, Pad, that, let's come to you then. Let's let's say that Daniel Farker does get this going, uh, or or maybe doesn't. Uh, maybe is, is a better way to frame it. How much pressure do you feel he will be under, given that Stuart Webber has this time? I think he, he described to Radio Norfolk saying that he had a gun, a couple of grenades, a bazooka, and they were just waiting for the tank. So if this is the tank arriving. And then he obviously feels that Daniel Farker has been very well equipped to produce a side that is good enough to stay in the Premier League. If, if that does not happen at this stage, where does that kind of leave Daniel Farker and, and maybe his, his Norwich City future? Do you think he'll be in a position where there will be questions asked of him because of the work they've done in this window? I mean, I'm looking ahead and looking ahead quite negatively. So let's hope it doesn't come to this situation, but hypothetically. 
Yeah, let's hope it is hypothetically, Connor. Yeah, no, uh, it's the manner of it. If they go down, but they've really, you know, really, really, we've got the, an excellent tune out of that group and it just isn't quite good enough, um, then I, I don't think there would be, I don't think there would be any, anybody calling for his head if that's where we're going with this. Um, if they've had a go, if they've been competitive, I still, still, even with this group of players, you know, some somebody said on social earlier on, you know, the the expense that Norwich have is probably one or two players in the top seven or eight clubs when they do their business in a window. You know, the differential is still massive. The gulf in terms of resource is still massive, and uh, for those reasons, you know, let's we, we need to remain fairly grounded about this, and that, that the objective is still to try and stay in the division, and it's. The chances are better now than when they started uh, this transfer window, hundred percent. But they're, they're still up against it. There's no no two ways about it because um, I don't see three other teams who, who you would at this stage put below Norwich in terms of the the squads or their potential to improve those squads. Um, you know, even when when the likes of Burnley going out and spending, what did they pay for that lad from Leon? Was it about fifteen million the left back? Well, there you go. Oh, you know, that's, yeah. And that's Burnley who. Supposedly, in Project Restart, we're, we're we're one of the clubs who are going to be pretty hard hit financially. So the fact that they can go out and do that on top of a group who have under Deitch serially stayed in the division, know what it's all about, know what it takes, and that's the sort of club really that Norwich are going to have to try and scramble above that level of club in the Premier League pecking order. So long-winded way of saying it, but if if they fall up just short, but they've they've really given it a, a good go and have been competitive. And there's maybe hope that, you know, they are getting a bit closer to sort of eventually staying up and pushing on. Then for me, Farker would still be my man to, to take him on again. Now, whether it's a different debate, whether he'd want another go in the championship, given he's already won two titles, he might feel, well, it's just not going to happen now. So I don't really want to go back to the Football League. He would, he would clearly still, even with another relegation on his CV, he would still have offers, I'm sure, um, over the course of what he's done at Norwich in its entirety, and he might feel the time is right to go. The other imponderable, if we're talking about next summer, is still Stuart Webber and his contract situation. It, it still, as it stands, ends next summer. And if that's the case and he's no longer here, then the, the dynamic shifts again, and quite dramatically, if it's Stuart Webber leaving the club, let's be honest. So... I think it's a bit premature to sort of hinge uh, Norwich go down, Daniel Farker is departing. I don't think it's quite as black and white as that for so many reasons. But ultimately, what I would say to finish is, if they if they don't muster a better effort than they did two seasons ago, when, let's be honest, they were stank the place out in the Premier League. They were so far adrift. It was, by the end, pitiful, really. Uh, and again, I accept that in the project restart with no fans and the impact at home car road crowds might have done down the stretch. You, you can't underestimate that, but they were, they were so far short in terms of the squad, the quality of that squad. If he can't improve on that benchmark, then he won't be here because Stuart Webber um, will not accept that. I'm pretty sure of that. So there's no doubt about it. He now needs to show championship level. We, we can't doubt it now. He is a, he is a serially good football league championship level coach. Can he now go to the next level? We're talking about the players and can they go to the next level? The same applies to Daniel and his backroom team. They need to prove now that they can operate at this level uh, and operate even with all the stated self-funded restrictions or complications they have to deal with, that they still can be competitive at this level. And I think with this group of players now, 
that's the least we should expect. It's going to well, be sorry, I'm just going to have to jump in there. And without being too mysterious, you you guys know that this was a potential story. Um, there's another one breaking within the hour, so I'm going to have to break off and get that sorted. Nothing too exciting, as you both know already. It's uh, one of the uh, we know that all the senior sort of first team business is done, so you can probably narrow it down to one of the uh, younger players who who uh, it sounds like is going out on loan. But I'm just going to have to break off and get that confirmed, get the story sorted. But also got the evening news editor wanting a few answers as well. So I'll leave you boys to finish off the uh, off the video and catch up in a bit. Good stuff. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for joining us. A little bit of a, a spoiler there for you guys watching. We'll swap to that and then that and then hopefully we're uh we're we're all sorted and um, pad that just leaves us to uh to finally then on, on a bit of a cheery mode i was going to ask you for your deadline day stories perhaps any memorable ones that you've got covering nurry city uh in, in recent years we, we've had a few i, I guess yannick vilska is probably the best example because that was very very late wasn't it but um are there any sort of real others that stand out i mean no city haven't really well i guess harry kane was was quite late as well wasn't it have you, have you got any others beyond beyond that deadline day story wise uh, ryan bennett you won't you won't ever top ryan bennett that was that was an 11 o'clock evening deadline i think it was january off the top of my head and i think probably five minutes to that buzzer getting pressed we didn't have any wind of that at all and then um funny enough it was because he left from peterborough it was the peterborough end where we got a a, a bit of confirmation that, that that could be imminent, and uh, and then as it turned out, what had happened is that he was obviously in a car with his agent and going to Swansea earlier in the day. Brendan Rogers, funnily enough, um, and then phone call to his agent Barry Fry, Peterborough's whatever he was then, director of football slash everything bottle washer, told him to turn the car around and head to Norwich City's training ground where. They swept through the gates, I think, pretty late that evening. Had to do all the medical and uh, all the formalities. And then, as I say, the button got pressed. So purely from a journalistic point of view, five minutes from the window, you think, right, we can put our feet up now. Uh, there's nothing more likely to happen. And then all hell, all hell breaks loose and it's changed. Dave just talking about evening news uh, page requirements. It was rip up the back page, go again. And obviously you're on a deadline, print deadline, as much as a transfer window deadline. So that was a particularly fraught evening, I think, Uh there's nothing that comes close to that. Madison was a late one, another January. Um, and late to the extent they couldn't, unlike with Ryan Bennett, they couldn't actually get him to Norwich to do his medical. It was that late. It was a David McNally signing. He actually had to, bear in mind he was Coventry-based, he had to go to St. George's Park in Burton, Staffordshire, and do his medical there. So, yeah, it it, it kind of sells a lie to where we are today, certainly, or mainly in the Stuart Webber era, which is feet up watching the other carnage unfold it around the other grounds. But I don't know about you, Connor, but I think that there's something gone out of deadline day from, from years gone by where it was Robinho and Berbatov, late night dashes to various clubs. And obviously the fiasco with Peter Odd and Wingy, who could ever forget that turning up at a, a rogue training ground and forced through a move that nobody else seemed to know what was, <laughs> what was going on. So I think, um, I think it's a far more serene, uh, operation these days and particularly with Stuart Webber because he without breaking any confidences absolutely despises the whole farce that goes with deadline day and um, breaking news left right centre so hence why of course man man true to his word we're, we're, we're sat here on deadline day and it's just uh, Tim Closer leaving and maybe one or two other the young lads going out on loan rather than any uh, any back pages getting ripped up so uh, from a journalistic point of view very happy 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was, I was going to ask you, I mean, we've we've had someone message saying uh, David McNally used to tweet, didn't he, telling Norwich fans to, to go to bed. So, um, not just, every just window. Yeah, not every window. Not every window. But just to conclude, are we, are we, we're there, aren't we, for, for Norwich City-wise, by those, uh, as we kind of said, right at the start, trimming of the edges. Yeah. In terms of major business, that's your lot, isn't it? And, and we, we've yeah. probably been saying that for the last 24 hours, really. Spot on, yeah, that is your lot. Uh, there'll be no... There'll be no uh, There'll be no uh, like flight tracker needed tonight, put it that way. Good stuff. Paddy, thank you very much. Thank you all very much for watching as well. I think throughout the last hour, we've had about 300 of you on all of our pink and channels watching us live. Um, so thank you very much for doing that. And, and this, of course, is the final window watch that um, you'll get this summer, which, you, of course, is incredibly, uh, incredibly emotional moment for everyone, I'm sure. And I'm sure you'll you'll miss seeing our faces every week. But um, we'll still be doing the preview shows and looking ahead to all the uh, Premier League fixtures with, with, with our various output. Uh, Pinkin.com, of course, the place to go uh, for all of the final bits of Norwich City's business this evening uh, 11 o'clock is the deadline so um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens elsewhere and what other Premier League clubs get uh, bits done um, between now and, and the deadline always a, a fraught few hours or so thank you very much for watching enjoy the rest of the uh, what, what day is it today Tuesday bank holiday throws you a bit and we'll see you again very very soon <laughs>